Welcome to Growing Hope Conversations. Growing Hope is a charity providing free therapy for children and young people with additional needs in partnership with local churches across the UK. We aim to grow hope for children through the provision of free therapy clinics, hope for families through groups for parents, carers and siblings to connect and talk about their experiences, and hope in Jesus through the opportunity to pray and be supported to access church if this is something families would like to do. This podcast is a series of conversations with individuals who have experience of additional needs and disability. Whether you share their experience or are here to learn, welcome to the conversation. Hello, welcome to Growing Hope Conversations. My name's Naomi, I'm a children's occupational therapist and the founder and CEO of Growing Hope. And I'm joined by our co-host for this season, Mark Arnold. Mark, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, Naomi. Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Arnold. I'm the Additional Needs Ministry Director at Urban Saints. I'm the co-founder of the Additional Needs Alliance, and I write as the Additional Needs Blog Father. Amazing. Thanks, Mark. And today's topic is all about journeying with NF2. Is there anything that particularly stands out to you about today's topic, Mark? Well, I'm very excited about this podcast session, Naomi. Having read some of our guests' work, she's amazing. Uh, and I have to admit to being a bit of a fan. Uh, her story is so powerful and helpful for anyone who has received a life-changing diagnosis, but especially for young people who can often massively struggle to make sense of what's going on. I know that this podcast session is going to be really impactful uh, for our listeners, and I can't wait to introduce her. What about you, Naomi? Yeah, I agree, Mark. I think any time we hear from someone's own experience, it just has such a big impact, doesn't it? And from hearing about someone's own story and own journey and how that impacts our world and what we do makes so much of a difference. So I'm really excited to hear our guest today. Brilliant. Well, uh, let's uh, say hello to her. Uh, Emily is an author and public speaker. She began writing following a medical diagnosis, which turned her life plans upside down. After publishing her first devotional book in the th uh, 30 Days series, Emily published her memoir, Still Emily. Her recent writings combine her personal experiences with biblical teaching and reflections. In 2018, Emily was awarded the ACW Award for Outstanding Contribution to Christian Publishing. Emily is still surprised to describe herself as a writer and speaker, but she has no hesitation in calling herself a fan of flowers, candles, purple, stars, and making her nieces and nephews giggle. Emily Owen, it is so good to have you with us. Tell us a bit more about yourself and about NF2. Well, hi. It's really, really nice to be here with you as well. Thank you for having me. And it's actually a really good day to have somebody talking about NF2 because you might not know it, but today is NF World Awareness Day. And so it's a quite a big day in the NF community. Um, so, yeah, it's great to be here and talk to you. But I imagine probably people listening might not know what NF2 is. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try and explain uh, in, a, in a little way what NF2 is. 
but to start right back at the beginning of my life obviously I was born yeah and as I was growing up I um I had no idea that I would have this condition called NF2. I was a fairly average child, enjoying sport and music and school and church and just had a happy life, really. Mm. And then when I was 14, I began to sort of not be able to walk in a straight line. So I'm walking to school and my friends are walking straight and I'm next to them walking wobbly. And it became like a bit of a joke. But um, at the same time, I began to get really bad headaches. Mm. Uh, So I went to the doctor and um, over a long time, so it probably took about 18 months for the doctor to try every single migraine tablet on the market, which didn't work. Mm. And in the end, he sent me to the hospital which ended up in me having a brain scan, which ended up with me being told, you've got two huge tumours in your head, mm. um, so big that they're about to kill you. And, wow. it's, and it's called NF2. <laughs> so that's, that was kind of how it happened. Wow. That's quite a journey for you to have been on, Emily. And as a teenager, that must have been really hard uh, for you to try and understand because I imagine that you had never heard of NF2 or anything like it before. Absolutely. I hadn't heard of NF2 at all. And I also had no, well, I suppose I perhaps had the naivety of a 16-year-old. I don't know. But I had no idea that being sent to the hospital to see neurology could possibly mean something bad. I really thought this hospital doctor was going to give me the magic tablets that would stop my headaches. And so then I was whizzed into an MRI scanning machine, which in itself was terrifying, mm. just like lying in a tunnel. And then I was whizzed back up to be told I had tumours. And, yeah, it was terrifying, but at the same time it was almost kind of numbing you know I couldn't take it in it was just happening so quickly but yes it was so scary and what happened next Emily we'd love to know a bit of a story about your journey with NF2 from that point of Mm -hmm. this is what it is to then what that looked like so basically uh, what happened next was that I was told I'd have to have surgery on both tumours, but only one side at a time. Mm. And so I had one tumour removed, and that left me deaf in one ear. And unfortunately, after that surgery, I was really, really ill. Mm. Um, I ended up in intensive care, and the doctors told my parents that they would need to switch off the life support machine. And I was really, really obviously ill. Yeah. The doctors didn't switch off the machine because <laughs> obviously Thank I'm goodness. here. Yeah. Um, but I had to learn to do everything again. So I had mm. to learn to walk, move, everything, talk. Um, ironically, the only thing I could do was hear, mm. <laughs> which obviously <laughs> is a bit ironic now that I'm deaf, but at the time I could hear. Yeah. So when the doctor said to my dad, oh, she needs to learn to literally uh, breathe, again because mm-hmm. she won't breathe as the machine's doing it for her so my dad was able to sit by my bed and just sort of tell me to breathe and mm-hmm. literally go breathe 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 until I learnt to get the rhythm of breathing so that's how far back I had to start and retrain everything I did gradually recover 
managed to do my A-levels, went to university, and unfortunately the same symptoms came back. The tumour had grown back and it had to be removed again. So it did, it was. Uh, and a couple of years later, the other side tumour needed removing, which then left me stone deaf. Okay. And that's massive, isn't it? There's just there's just so many things within that that would have been really hard for you to process. What What was that like for you? Or what was it that got you through that? I think after the first lot, when I was so ill, and I fought like anything to get back to college, and I decided once I did get to college, that's it. Never setting foot in a hospital again. And if two is over. Mm. And I managed to keep that mindset until in the university I was told the tumour has come back. And I still thought, okay, have it removed, it'll be fine. But then after that surgery, I woke up and half of my face was paralysed. Mm. And that it was at that moment that I sort of hit rock bottom. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I can fight back to my normality anymore because it's such a huge thing, image. Mm. Mm. And I looked so different and it was really hard. Mm. It's it's it, it, yeah. each each time that you had to have an operation, there was something else that got taken away, wasn't there? And uh, you know, incredibly difficult for you to keep going in and keep having those operations, knowing that um, there was a you know big chance or even a certainty that you'd lose another um, uh, function. Um, you know what what kept you going through all that how how did you manage to just keep on going through each of those stages it was hard to keep going sometimes literally um one step at a time i mean i remember um actually one time i was you know, really low and my mum actually said to me why don't you get through the next minute hmm. i thought what but anyway i watched the clock tick round for a minute and then I'd done that minute, so I did the next minute. And gradually it became a space of sort of five minutes, ten minutes. And I don't still count anymore, yeah. <laughs> you know. But at, at the time, it was just important for me to have those little milestones that I could say, yeah, I've done that. And, mm-hmm. for example, learning to walk again, I've, I've had to do that many, many times. <laughs> and I would set myself sort of, say, a park that I have near me. Mm-hmm. Alongside the path, there are bins and I would say, right, today I'm going to walk to the first bin. Mm. And then every two days later, I'm going to walk to the second bin. And, you know, just celebrating the little achievements as well as the, well, the big ones don't come very much, but as well as the big ones. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Really, uh, yeah, amazing thinking about, you know, the, the determination that you had to set those targets and then get towards them and achieve them and then set another target. It, yeah, an amazing depth of determination that you had there. Well, yeah, I think, um, I think, it's in some ways it served me quite well that I'm quite stubborn in some ways. Yeah. So I, was like, I will do this. And also, as I mentioned before, I was quite sporty before this illness kicked in. Mm. And so I was quite used to sort of physically pushing myself. So when the physiotherapist would say, this is what I want you to do. Although, I'm sorry, but I really didn't like physiotherapy. <laughs> um, I, also, Fair enough. I, I also wanted to do it. 
So if they if they said stand for one minute without holding on to anything, I was going to do that. And you know, and that sort of mindset I think helped me. Mm. In some ways, I think it also didn't help me because sometimes I would have probably been more sensible to say, actually, don't push it today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, thinking about that journey that you were on um, and looking back at it now, uh, is there something maybe that you uh, would have done differently or something that you've learned that would have been helpful to know right at the beginning? Something that I wish I'd known at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I think in some ways what I wish I'd known is quite ironic given what I've just said. But I wish I'd known that it's okay to accept that you can't do what you used to be able to do. Because mm. so, for so long, I held on to who I used to be. And I tried to be that person within a completely changed body and completely changed everything. But I still thought, yeah, I can do all that. And I couldn't. And I found it really hard to accept. But when I did accept it, although obviously it was sad to let those things go, it made living right now easier mm. so yeah i would say acceptance really yeah that's good that's really helpful emily i think often acceptance is such a it's hard isn't it whether i mean we've talked to a lot of parents on this podcast and i talk to a lot of parents in my job and obviously it, it's different being the person who has experienced something to being a parent or carer but i think still that journey of letting go of something that you've hoped for and then accepting what something is is a is one that has to has to happen and unfold um yeah exactly I mean, like you say it's a journey but I think as well for me that the almost eureka moment in that journey was when I was like I realized that if I say I accept it it doesn't mean I like it so mm. I you know that was a really big thing for me to say I don't have to like the fact that I can't do all this stuff but I can still accept it yeah that, yeah that was huge for me yeah and, and that's it's a really great uh, distinction isn't it you know you, you're able to understand it to accept it you don't have to like it you can uh yeah you can have those um, those negative feelings about not liking it alongside the positive feelings of okay this is the reality and yeah. uh, being able to move on with that mm. for me it's actually I, I find it's really important to be able to hold the negative and the what is kind of intention because if you try and pretend the negative's not there mm. for me personally it's a nightmare it drags you down yeah but if you just say yeah it's there but it's not going to dominate me. Yeah. No, that helps. That's amazing. And for people facing something similar, Emily, I mean, that's brilliant advice anyway. What would your top three bits of advice be for people? Well, uh, am I only allowed three? <laughs> you can have more if you want. <laughs> I'm not going to say any order because I don't know which is more important. But one thing that is really important to me is to remember that whatever goes on in my life, I'm still me. Yeah. You know, I don't lose sight of who I am because it, it's so easy to get lost in symptoms and hospitals and appointments and letters and talking about all the negatives. But mm -hmm. actually, you know, I'm more than that. I'm still me inside. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's one. Uh, another that I found really helpful 
is don't compare. Yeah. Don't compare mm. with other people. It's so easy, isn't it? Whether other people have got the same illness or other people who've got no illness or whatever. So it's so unhelpful to compare. Mm. And I'm just like, it's I don't need to carry comparison as well. So don't mm. compare. Another one I would say is something that really helps me is well, I call it look for rainbows, mm. which is like find something good in every day. And Sometimes, literally, it's things like, I don't know, chocolate or, you know, seeing a bird or a flower. You know, it, it doesn't have to be something massive, mm. but it just reminds me that however bad things are, everything isn't bad. So it's that three. Yeah, I think that's about three. <laughs> and, and they're three brilliant points. Absolutely wonderful. I, you know, I love that sense of you um, still, you know, you're still, you're still Emily. You're, you're still Emily. All that has happened to you hasn't changed that you are Emily. And that that's brilliant. And uh, yeah, looking for rainbows uh, and that that hashtag that I know that uh, that you've used, you know, hashtag everyday rainbows, uh, which uh, just shares some of that positivity and shares the good yeah. that can happen every day. And, and that's so powerful. Yeah, I think it's it's really it is an encouraging thing, and like I've got this hashtag everyday rainbows, and the lovely thing is that other people have started using it too, and posting on social media like everyday rainbows, and often it's people who like me, often have struggles, but they're still finding something good, and you know yeah, it's really good. Brilliant. Um Emily, there are lots of different ways uh, that, uh, you know, you've shared your story with the world uh, and, uh, you know, through books and, and uh, the web and so on. If people want to find out more about you and your journey and your story, um, what would be the best places to start? Well, um I'm about, I was about to say, why don't you look at my website? But I should probably say... I don't update it very often. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not an okay. amazing website. But yeah, I do have a website, which is emily-owen.co.uk. Um, and that has information about me, information about my books. Um, a couple of books I've written um, are literally about my story. So I think you mentioned Still Emily. <laughs> that is my memoir. And also my story for... Uh, younger people called my diary yeah oh you're holding it up yeah that's the one there we go diary. when I say it's for younger people theoretically it is but I think young people are people up to age over 100 <laughs> yeah anyone can anyone can read it but it, it tells the reality of struggles and life but also brings hope which is what we, what we try to do yeah. yeah that's brilliant I, I love that um that my diary is for younger people and i i read it and loved it so i'm going to count that as me being a young person <laughs> it was, it, i'm so happy when you said you'd read it and then when you came to the launch as well it was lovely to have you <laughs> an absolute privilege and it's a great book thoroughly recommend it to anybody oh, okay. as you say anybody up to and over 100 uh, but also particularly to any young person any teenager for example uh, who is you know on a similar journey to yours Emily and, and it just yeah. helps to give a, a, a different perspective a different view from somebody who's been on that journey and shared that journey uh, yeah. so clearly and well 
Oh, thank you. I think that's the curse of sharing that journey because I'm still on that journey. You know, I still have operations. I still have things going wrong. So, so yeah, I'm still on that journey too. <laughs> yeah. And Emily, we'd love to know, one thing we ask everyone who comes on our podcast is it's kind of, we give you a like no holds barred question of if there were all the resources that you needed, what one change to society would you like to see in the realm of accessibility? That is a huge question. I know. <laughs> it is. I, I, I feel like saying, oh, that's interesting. How would you answer it? <laughs> but I won't. Um, I, think, I think in many ways the a key to the whole disability in society is education because I think possibly you've got the I mean people try to put it in boxes don't they you've got the disabled you've got the non-disabled but actually if we can educate each other to understand both ways mm. I think for the dis disabled to understand the non-disabled sorry if I'm not using the right terms for that, mm. or the, for the, and for the non-disabled to understand the disabled just mutual understanding so I think um, I think if I could have anything I wanted, I would have I would have somebody who knew how to do that, yeah. <laughs> and I would I would have them do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. If we're thinking about how we educate the world, and we can do that without any resources, I was just wondering what you think from your perspective that looks like. If people are really understanding you, and right. what does that look like for you? What does it look like if people understand me? I think one thing actually is if they don't see my disability, you know, they, they sort of see me, but you know, it, it's, it, I know it's a big ask because obviously if somebody sees me out in the street, I'll be walking with a crutch or I'll even be in a wheelchair. And it's a big, it's a big thing to see the person, mm. not the disability. But for example, I went out for lunch with a friend recently you know we sat outside because it was before you're allowed to sit inside yeah and um obviously wearing masks um before we got to our table and impossible for me to lip read so she was doing the communication she can hear and the waiter took us over to our table and i did a quick check which i always do really quickly scan it to check that i'll be able to lip read from the physicians and mm. i was like yep yeah, that's fine um but then um, the waiter went off and my friend took her mask off and she said, oh, he's just gone to get us another table. And I said, well, why? You know, it's, this is OK. I'll be able to. It will be fine. Yeah. And she said, yeah, but the, uh, the seats at this table, they won't be comfortable for you. They won't be good for your back. And you know what? I hadn't even noticed. But yeah. she noticed that. And that, I mm. think, is what it's about just naturally in the flow just encompassing each other's needs mm. and kind of being like almost like a body of Christ or definitely like a body of Christ and you know just yeah encompassing what each of us needs but not only the non-disabled for what the disabled need but vice versa mm. as well I mean yeah it's all very well thinking the disabled are the only one with problems but actually we're all human, yeah. <laughs> we all have problems and yeah. we can all meet them if we mm. can learn how to meet on a level, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. I. That's great. I think that's so good. 
Yeah, that's a, a brilliant. And, you know, as as we draw things to a close, um, you know, first of all, Emily, just want to thank you so much for all that you shared with us. And just, just looking at some of the things that I've noted down as we've been going uh, through uh, this conversation together. And uh, um, yeah, just the fact that today is NF World Awareness Day. You know, wonderful that, that that's the day that we happen to be uh, chatting with you. And although it will be a different day for our audience, uh, yeah, there's something significant about the fact that that we're chatting uh, with you and recording this podcast today mm. hearing your story and and how amazing your story is about you know that the, the each stage of that process of, you know those operations and having to to relearn uh, you know to walk and to talk to relearn to breathe mm. you know just just uh, amazing that you know that determination to keep going and uh, as you said to get through the next minute to get through uh, the next uh, uh, few minutes, setting targets and and then achieving them. Loved what you shared with us about it being okay to um, accept that you can't do something anymore, but you don't have to like it and holding intention, the negative and the positive and keeping those uh, intention there. Uh, and then as you gave us your your three tips, your three uh, um, things for, for people to uh, take forward, uh, you know, your first one was, you know, that uh, you're still Emily, you're still you. And, uh, and, and despite everything that's happened, uh, you know, you're still the same person uh, 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 right through it. You know, not comparing with others, uh, and looking for rainbows, that that wonderful, uh, looking for uh, something good in each day, and and uh, yeah, just encourage everyone to use that hashtag uh, everyday rainbows themselves, um, and to uh, to make sure that uh, yeah, we share those everyday rainbows with each other because you know that's so important. And then you know, as as your journey goes on, your your wish was you know to. To, to see education and understanding uh, of disabled people and non-disabled people uh, and uh, for people to be seen for who they are, just as you see yourself still as Emily, uh, for everybody else to see themselves as who they are and to meet each other's needs, whether they have a disability or not. So such richness and so much that you've shared with us, Emily. And thank you so much uh, for being with us on the Growing Hope podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. And also, just for people who won't be able to know, thank you for adjusting all the technology to enable me to be able to take part. You're very no welcome. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Thank you for joining Growing Hope Conversations. Find out more at growinghope.org.uk.